This weekly podcast inspires you to step outside of your comfort zone. My name is Zakir Muhammad, and I'm your host of the Living Legacy Podcast. I am a cancer survivor, brand cultivator strategist, author, and world traveler. This Living Legacy Podcast features women of purpose sharing stories of resilience. They are single and married. They are artists and entrepreneurs who run businesses and juggle parenthood. If you are ready to hear interviews about professionalism, entrepreneurship, travel, life, and love, you are in the right place. They will share stories of how they overcame adversity while seeing life through a different lens. Let's get into it. So welcome to another episode of the Living Legacy Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, my name is Akira. I am a brand cultivating strategist, a professional photographer, and a podcaster, as well as an author, as well as a cancer survivor. So this series is a short series that I decided to start in the lieu of current events to not only continue to educate and inspire and empower women as typically done on the Living Legacy podcast, but also to educate you a bit more. So for those who don't know, I am a born Muslim. In episode five of a Living Legacy podcast, I had a conversation with my dad. And so we literally break down everything about the religion of Islam, which is what the Muslim practice. So if you want to learn more about Islam, you can definitely check out the Living Legacy podcast episode five. If you want to also learn from other Muslim women, because this series features entirely Muslim entrepreneurs, I've actually had the pleasure of featuring a handful of them by now. So the previous guests have been Imani Bashir. She's a world traveler and a journalist. Khadija Abdulaziz, who is an author and an apartment coach. And then I've also had the pleasure of interviewing my mom. So in episode 36 and 37, we had a two-part series where not only do we talk about our memoir that we kind of co-wrote together called Seeing Life Through a Different Lens, where we talk about life growing up uh, as me with the cancer survivor. Then we also talk about how much Islam kind of played a huge role in our life. And so today I have Sabria Mills. So she became a journalist to come as close to the world as possible. So she is currently a journalist with About Islam, and she's also the co-founder of MACE, which stands for Muslim Advocate with Children of Exceptionalities. So the goal is to empower children and adults with disabilities. She also runs a podcast herself with the Dope Muslim Woman Podcast. So it is designed to show the power of owning who you are and standing in your truth, or as I like to say, speaking your truth, even if your voice shakes, and going to your path to greatness. So today we're going to talk about um, Islam as far as what it was like with her growing up and how being a journalist has shaped her life. And then it's who she is. So Sanaa Alaikum, Peepee with you, Sabria. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? Alaikum Salaam. I'm doing well. How are you? Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Good, good. It's a great day. It's a great day for women to come together and have a wonderful conversation about the hard stuff. Because we're also going to talk about, you know, because Islam is a beautiful religion, so misunderstood, but also so very discriminant, right? Depending on where we live, depending on who grew up where, right? So we're definitely going to talk about all of that. So why don't you go ahead and tell me the basics of who you are. Okay, sorry, plugging in my computer. Apologize. <laughs> so, um, 
So, um, subhanAllah, who am I? So, my name is Sabria Mills, and as you mentioned, um, I, mashallah, it's, it's always interesting because it's like, how do you define it? So, <laughs> at the core, at my core um, heart, you know, I, I classify myself as a journalist, as a storyteller. Um, this is a recent journey of mine. I always say my purpose, purpose and passion is to help um, give voice to the voiceless. Um, I have a very um, soft heart and desire to help the marginalized. So um, with that, I am right now a journalist. I work for actually two international publications. I also do some independent journalism as well as I podcast. Um, in addition to that, I do have a nonprofit organization, MACE, as you mentioned, which is also working with marginalized voices as it relates to um, you know, children with exceptionalities and really changing the perspective around individuals that have exceptional abilities. Um, and, you know, professionally, I am an educational consultant, so I do work in the field with um, exceptional children, children with disabilities, day in and day out, working to empower them, making sure they have the correct services um, and supports in their educational environments and beyond. So that's a little bit of just of who I am. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. So either way, you love people, you love educating, you love learning. So that's the gist of who Shabria is too, right? Yeah, that's that's pretty much me summed up. Right. <laughs> perfect, perfect. So how have you learned or utilized your learning experiences and your love for learning with um, becoming closer to God or Allah? Yeah. So that's the that's the main point. Right. So, you know, it's interesting because I was just reflecting on this and I always say that whenever, you know, you're on your journey and you're fulfilling your purpose and uh, the starting place is always tapping into that relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't think you can put that um, it has to start there. So I think, you know, subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's so merciful how he allows us to experience him in our lives. For me, subhanAllah, I started very early. It started for me at the age of 12. At the age of 12 was when I realized um, through different experiences when I was around my friends and I saw different levels of hurt and pain. And I even experienced some pain as a 12 year old um, that I really wanted to know God. And that was from the age of 12 is when I started to like make sure I did all my five prayers and that, you know, I never kind of like gave it up at that point. But that was just a mercy from God that he allowed me to experience him at such a young age. But um I really, truly believe that we experience our relationship with the law a lot of time through pain. Through adversity, we look at our Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you know, subhanAllah, he lost his mother, he lost his father, you know, that 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 pain and that challenge and that adversity, and you really get to experience Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he is supposed to be experienced, as the one, he is sufficient for us. Um, we do not need anything outside of him. Anything else is a bonus. It adds to the essence of our worship. So for me, I just experienced it extremely young and it drives everything that I do. I find it very hard to do things that don't align with what I know Allah has put in me as a purpose um, because everything I do, I pray around. Even before I do a podcast, an episode, I pray around. Anybody I collaborate with, I pray around. It has It's the driving force for everything. Absolutely. So the power of prayer is something that is similar in every religion. And even for those who are maybe not religious, but uh, are spiritual. So they're especially, it's, Prayer is very important with before you make major decisions, right? Because life is full of every day you make a decision. So how do you utilize the power of prayer specifically with making hard decisions? Um, yeah, I think that, you know, that's something that actually has to be cultivated. 
And I think, you know, you have to, one of the things I love about this faith is that it's so holistic in a sense of that you really have to be self-aware. You know, you really have to be a self-aware. You really have to take ownership of who you are, your strengths, your weaknesses, um, before you can even really tap into the essence of prayer in itself. Um, you know, for me, praying is also about stillness. Um, my intuition fulfills what's in alignment here. Um, so but before I make major decisions, and then more and more as I kind of work on this journey of doing what it aligns with me and, and trying to be more purposeful, I'm very conscientious of praying every step of the way. So I try to use the tools that Allah Subhanahu recommends. So like prayer at night is a big, huge secret and tool that not everybody taps into. But if, if you can really institute a practice of getting up at night, even if it's for a few minutes and praying that to hug your prayer in the middle of the night, you will really see like what you're asking for and, and Allah's guidance exponentially in a very fast way to really drive you. So, you know, it's a real big secret in that nighttime prayer when nobody's watching, nobody else is awake. It's just you and God. Um, and, um, you know, making sure that I have my five prayers are always on, on time and I have a very sensitivity about, you know, the praying on time for me personally, that that's also been a driving force, but just really the essence of being still and really listening, um, to where Allah is guiding you is really important. So I do, you know, I have a meditative state. I get really still and I really try to see what do, how do I feel here, you know, after my prayer. And I kind of try to trust that feeling as well. Absolutely. So I think the importance um, that maybe most people who do know about Islam or know about Muslims is that you do get in yoga style prayers like five times a day. And that's really the best way to also, yeah, like you said, be more in tune to yourself and also be more in tune to the direction you're supposed to be going. That's right, sis. It's that's what it's about. I, you know, I shared something. I just want to say this on my page earlier about you know, every Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has put a gift and a purpose in each and every one of us. And I hear a lot of people saying, well, "I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know my gift." And it's like you have to tap into God first, and Allah will reveal it. But believe me, you're supposed to be executing something here on this earth, right? You have a mission. You have a purpose. We all do. And so you have to just get in alignment to really listen and then execute it and be authentic with it. Absolutely. Now, how? Tell us about the time where you kind of became aligned into becoming a journalist for yourself as a freelance for the website about Islam. Yeah, yeah, that was that was all God. I swear to goodness. Um, I was feeling, you know, I had my nonprofit organization. Um, you know, I was a I was a leader in my field. You know, I had you know leadership positions and all of that. And one of the things that I felt sort of even with those positions and even with those responsibilities, I still felt like I wasn't utilizing my voice, that I wasn't really being authentic and I was having struggles. I would I would have a lot of issues within myself of even how to lead other people. How do you lead other people if you're not really leading yourself in a sense, essentially? So me. Um, really making that intentional do I like I didn't see journalism as the solution. What happened is, is that somebody just approached me out of the blue and was like, hey, sis, I just I mean, really, it was that random. Like, how do you feel about covering this story for us? And it was a particular story that I was asked to cover for a news publication. And um, and I had done some blogs for like um, my nonprofit organization about exceptional children and things like that. But they were like, how do you feel about covering this story? And I was like, OK, so I covered the story. And then from there, I actually left it alone. And then from there, the new, you know, news publication approached me and said, hey, like, 
how do you feel about, you know, become actually, you know, come, becoming an editor? And I was like, hold on, you know, let me first start with like, so then I started off with like freelancing then I became a news correspondent reporter. Now I'm a full on um, journalist. I work, I cover the news desk. Um, I work in, um, you know, what the current news is. I cover those stories as a news correspondent. I also do some editorial work um, as well for a couple of different publications. And I realized the power of the pen. I realized the power of amplifying stories that matter and why my podcast became so essential is because it became a place where you can amplify the voiceless, where you can amplify the stories of, as you do, mashallah, you do it beautifully. The stories of people that perhaps are overlooked, the, 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 the shakers and the movers and these grassroots people, the people that really matter, stories that drive change, right? So stories that heal. So it became something, this driving mission that unfortunately at this point, I can't turn off even if I want to. I cannot stop. <laughs> like it's insane. Where I, what's driving me behind me, it's, it's an insane push and drive to keep going forward. So that's sort of it. It was real, real random, sis. Wasn't intentional. <laughs> and that's really how it goes. As soon as you hone down on your purpose uh, it's like the rest of it just just flows it, mm-hmm. it really just flows yeah, and then, yeah, i love so how, he shows, how he shows up in our life you know when you trust him when you trust him he he, he, he you know i've seen it he really takes care of his servants that's the true definition of submitting you know never mind what people think the definition of submitting to a man is but when you submit to god like that's you know more than uh that's it. Yeah, more than anything. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's let's talk about the hard stuff. So you were you were born into the religion. Yes, ma'am. But what happened before that, and then what happened along the way? Let's let's talk yeah. about that story. The journey, the process. Yes, Pomla. Yeah, I was born. My parents converted from uh, other faiths into Islam and they converted during a critical time, you know, that civil rights era, kind of era of like Black Panther movement, Black consciousness. And I always say for both of my parents, what drove them into Islam was that that was that that one spiritual base that gave them a sense of um, self-awareness, self-love and the ideal of justice. SubhanAllah, you're living in a time where religion was being used to you know, capture the mindset of the people, right? To keep you enslaved, to keep you feeling inferior. And so Islam really spoke to that essence. And my parents are both like real serious, like, you know, political figures. So I get a lot of my fire from them. Um, so they were both involved in those movements and Islam really spoke to them. So, you know, but, you know, at the same time, you know, you think about it, subhanAllah, like I was, uh, my parents are from Philadelphia. They, they were very intentional about moving us to the countryside in New Jersey. So I did was raised on like acres of land. And so I had a different experience, but I still come from the inner city urban. I was still educated in urban schools. And so I still have a base there. And, um, you know, you just deal with a lot of pain and a lot of trauma and a lot of conditioning. And one of the things I'm unraveling now is some of the conditioning that happened with that generation that came into Islam um, on, off the backs of that sort of um, this, this, this extreme I guess you could say, I hate saying civil rights error, but this extreme racial um, sort of race wars sort of thing, error, error of when, you know, black people were really fed up and tired and they were, you know, really willing and, and to do what was necessary, any means necessary to push back. Um, but that generation, what happened is, is that when they were brought into Islam, a lot of 
there wasn't a lot of healing done with a lot of that trauma, right? So when you, as you come into Islam and then you come into raising your kids and then a lot of what you're getting from Islam is coming from the international mixed with culture from different, you know, ethnicities and different cultures and you're trying to institute that on your children. So I think a lot of that was really difficult. Like, what does it mean to be a girl, you know, Muslim girl being raised? I thought it was being quiet, sweet and agreeable, right? And what I found is that when you're quiet, sweet and agreeable, a lot of people uh, abuse you and take advantage of you. Yeah. You know, and abuse you. A lot of a lot of young girls and boys have been. Well, I was. I'm going to speak to the girls for a minute because of this conditioning of what good girls should be, which comes from a cultural context that doesn't have anything to do with Islam. We're abused. We're subject to abuse as as children. So, I mean, for me, like navigating that and really identifying like some of these habits of people pleasing, this conditioning that I'm trying to like work against, even to this day of like, you know, I don't always have to appease. I don't always have to smile and be sweet and nice. You know what I mean? Even if it doesn't speak, you know, if it doesn't speak to what feels right here. Um, so I was married very early. So uh, one of my, I was married very early. I was married at the age of 19. And I speak of this a little bit. And that you know, it was just a time when um, I was <laughs> I was really sheltered. OK, so I was what the kid that, you know, didn't really ride the school bus or didn't go to the parties or n nothing. OK, nothing. And then you try to you go into a whole marriage with a whole man at 19. So that was my <laughs> one of the um, big challenges in my life and just dealing with that and trying to navigate a relationship with a man, not knowing have an idea of who I am and then trying to navigate the relationship with a man and then being okay with walking away from that um, and dealing with that heartbreak and dealing with that triumph. Um, there was so much that I had to unravel of conditioning, um, so much releasing, so much judgment from others, like unshackling myself from, you know, being a divorced woman, you know, being a divorced woman, being okay with being a single mom, you know? Um, I think a lot of my self-development Kind of started there in my self-discovery really started from that that immense heartbreak because what happens when you get divorced you don't it's not just the divorce of the person you lose so and i know we were talking oh, about yeah, the, script, oh, right? yeah. <laughs> the loss the loss that you experience and i don't and i'm sure it happens no matter what faith you're in but in the muslim community there's a lot of judgment and there's a lot of like what did you do oh what did he do Oh, and then, and then it's like, oh, who am I going to align with? You know, you don't have to align with anybody. You know what I mean? Like you can literally authentically love. And not just that. As a divorced single woman, you think you have solid relationships and friendships with your girlfriends. And now you become different. And then that relationship changed, too. So there's a lot of pain and loss that you have to endure through that process. And, you know, it changes you. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And I think I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think that's what people don't understand about um, divorce is that you are literally, you are grieving, even though you're not necessarily a widow, you're still grieving because there's so much, so much that gets lost in the shuffle, not, not just financially, but emotionally, but also spiritually, because you do have to reevaluate yourself, especially if you were one of those Hope and pray that you were going to be the only one, you know, the only marriage, the only time, you know, so it's. it's. But those ideals are, you know, sis, I'm starting to learn that those ideals, I, I really try to go back and study our faith and really look at, you know, the foundations of our religion. And these even these ideals, I hear some people say so much like, yeah, you know, I want to make sure like you marry, you know, it's some type of success if the person that you're married to 
you know, that first person that you're married to the rest of the, your life. Yeah, that, there's success in that, subhanAllah. But there's also success in the sister and the brother that has been divorced and that triumphed and tried again and loved again and became a better human being. That was that existed during the time of the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam. He married divorced women. So, I, I, you know, I just, these ideals that we have, that we push on each other, they're really destructive. They're destructive yeah. to our own empower, empowerment and betterment as a people. Exactly. And I think that, yeah, and I think we that needs to be evaluated too. <laughs> and, yeah, and that's what I think that's the unfortunate side of culture norm mixed in with religious laws, like the religious laws that are there long before culture was there. You know, we yeah, you have to be radical and intentional about shifting it, and you know, and it, it starts with each individual. You know, working against these ideals. According to podcasts, is facilitating these type of dialogues, healing some of these wounds that come from conditioning that has nothing to do with the essence of our faith, how we're supposed to be existing here on this earth. So that's that's essentially, and what you're doing, may God bless you, may may Allah subhanahu wa taala elevate you because you're doing the same thing and you're doing the necessary work that needs to be done to help us, you know, unravel some of these destructive things. This episode is sponsored by Focus Media Group, founded by Zakira. We focus on the social media of entrepreneurs so they don't have to. We understand the frustration of the ever-changing algorithm. Let us help you with your Instagram growth, business strategy, or branding services. Visit FocusMediaGroup.com to learn more. That's Focus with a P-H. P-H-O-C-U-S-E-D MediaGroup.com. Now the work is not done with this conversation. So let's let's go into how about is there is was it the word culture shock, right? So from New Jersey to Atlanta? Well, I mean, I would say culture shock. Um, you know, definitely there's some differences. I mean, I I, you know, I what's interesting is that I moved to different places as a result of a relationship with a man, right? You know, so you know, I moved so I think that's more of the uh the shock of like not really having ownership in the decisions I was making, whether this is a good fit, is that city a good place for me, the way I want to live, you know, that's something that I think is, uh, it needs to be discovered. But um, yeah, there's a big difference between the North and the South. Um, there's a difference in the mentality. Um, there's a difference in the way people do things. You know, um, I love living in Atlanta because it is a melting pot of different people from different areas. So I still get to rock with my northern folks. Um, but I, one thing about when you're raised in the north, you know, there's a level of rawness, especially if you're in the urban cities. There's a level of rawness that for some people will say mean or harsh or tough or whatever. But there's a level of rawness that's you that's. Um, just authentic like you know what you see is what you get down here there's a lot more but I also passive aggressive passive aggressive like you know where you see a lot of people that you know it's a lot you know I a lot of jabs that took me a while to get used to like all these passive aggressive jabs and why don't you just say come out and say what you what you mean and we can handle it like that you know because up north we just we kind of say what we mean and mean what we say but I think that's that's the biggest difference. But alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm happy here in Atlanta overall. That's good, that's right good. Here. <laughs> now, okay. let's talk about um, wherever you want to start first. Any experiences you've had in work, in love, in religion with any colorism, sexism, or discrimination of any kind? 
being an African-American girl, you know, I was raised very intentional. Like my, my father, mashallah, was very conscientious of how he raised me. So when he, I was young, before I could really read, he sat me down with the autobiography of Malcolm X and he sat me down with the art of war. How old were you when you read it? Maybe five, six, you know, I mean, I mean, I was reading, but not okay. on just like okay. the higher yeah. levels. Right. So, um, you know, he broke down, you know, New World, like really political, like really to understand. One of the things he was really intentional about with me was really understanding the power of um, my black skin, my femininity and me being visibly a visible Muslim woman. He used to always say, you have to be really prepared for what you're going to endure um, in this world. And I never really got it because I like, he, you know, we lived in a country house and I think when we had like one other neighbor on the street and we could go outside and have acres of land and, you know, we just lived like, you know, this really peaceful life. But he would always be really intentional about preparing me. So I realized that, you know, when I got to a certain point, you know, I got early ma married early on and I began, it was like post 9-11. And it was my first really wake up call when they began to target, you know, the federal government began to target a community that I lived in. Um, there's a documentary out there called New Muslim Cool. It's, if you watch it, it's, it gives a little bit of a story of it. Um, but I was in that community and I saw um, how, you know, and, and, you know, not just because of your faith, that's one layer, right? But because of your black skin and because of your consciousness. See, the thing is, is that, you know, you can, you know, you could be African-American, people on a surface level may, you know, they're not, they don't care anything about you until you become, have a level of consciousness. Because once you have a level of consciousness, you know, you have to live in your divine excellence. Black people living in their divine excellence is scary as crap for those that want to oppress them, right? So it's like for black, for I think for a black community, black Muslims, for black people, excuse me, to be in a level of consciousness about who they are. And then you, you add Islam on that with the elements of Islam that come with a sense of justice and even the political component that comes in, in Islam. There's like a, a political structure that comes with the religion of Islam. It's extremely, you know, it's extremely threatening. So I think when I saw that level of targeting um, on many, many levels, you know, as a young woman that was sheltered, you know, I really began to be aware. Um, so I started to not take things for like face value, the surface level of maybe discrimination I experienced on the job or, you know, because I wear the hijab or because I'm black or, you know, I mean, you got to you, you deal with those issues on a surface level. But I really began to look at it as, you know, institutionalized racism, the structural barriers that are here, the disparities that exist that is very intentional in education and healthcare and housing and all these things that are set in place to keep an elite group elite, right? To keep an elite group elite. They benefit from our oppression. They benefit from our self, uh, our, our, our own destruction, right? Our, our self-destruction. So they benefit from that. So I think being conscious, conscientious of that, I really had a very extreme experience with it by being um, actually targeted by the federal government. Um, <laughs> you know, post 9-11. So mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. and when I say targeted, I mean like surveil surveillance and followed and, you know, mm -hmm. all of that. So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. But so, what's crazy is is that um at least from my experience my understanding of the experience is that's when most people have that was that was truly a lot of test for a lot of the Muslims really of how much do you love me? <laughs> you know, because a lot of people really had to be tested and of how much are you willing to educate how much are you willing to put on a line because 
there was a whole different misunderstanding. And even for me, I think growing up, I've always just had multiple uh, identities. One, yes, as an um, African-American woman, African-American woman, Black woman, and then uh, thirdly, but also being a woman of uh, with exceptionalities, right? So, um, you know, being a cancer survivor, and, and first of all, it's like already different just throwing in the the fact that I have exceptionalities because, you know, they first look at you as a woman, for second look at you as you're black, and then it's like, okay, so now you now you need help from us? Like for what, <laughs> you know? Right. So it, it was different. It was definitely, um, at least m- my life too was also like a yeah. definition of overcoming adversity because there's so many, they weren't necessarily barrier because my mom is, is a tough one, right? So she, you know, knew how to, she's from New York, right? So she knew how to, you know, navigate these systems and do her research, read these books, go to the library. She worked at the library a majority of my life. So it's it definitely, that's, that's what I think people just really need to do is just really read, watch videos. You know, now it's a new age, new era of watch videos, listen to podcasts, read a book. But what other tips uh, would you have for those who want to learn and educate themselves and do something. You know, in addition to what you said, which is which is true, you know, you definitely have to be a researcher. You know, what what I believe personally is, um, you know, I look at you know how how did Allah Subhanahu wa Taala organize this Quran? You know, we you always want to go back to because if you really are a person of faith, you know, you don't want to reinvent anything. You want to look at what is the way that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala instructed us. How did He deliver the message to us? You know, how is this Quran, which we use as a tool, which is our learning tool, how is it organized? And when I look at the Quran, you know, when I think of the lessons that we're supposed to ponder about and reflect on for our life, it's, it's, they're historical principles. So he, you know, in the Quran, you know, you have the story of Abraham and Lut and, you know, Jesus, alayhi salam. And, you know, you know, so they're all there, right? They're, they're historical stories. And so I think there's something to be said about really being, uh, people, especially now, subhanAllah, we have to really study history and we have to authentically study history. And we have to look back at a lot of these um, historical principles, the, um, our, our messengers that are there in our book. And, and because a lot of that is showing up in this day and age and how did they navigate it? And what were the instructions there? Um, what were the tools provided um, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and delivered with our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and our other nabis, our other prophets? How did they deal with oppression, right? That was there. How did they deal with, you know, these sort of injustices, right? It's, it's there. So I think being a study, really studying history, and we need to support our historians. Like, we really need to support our history. They're dying off. I don't, I mean, do you know a list of them? They're, you know, there used to be, no, we don't. They're dying off. We need to support our historians because that, to me, is a critical piece that I, when I, when I try, when I look at the Quran and I study the Quran, I see that our lessons of how we're supposed to show up in this world today, how we're supposed to execute and live our life and, and navigate all these trials and tribulations is by pulling from history. Um, so I think that that's a critical point. And then you also have to align yourself. One of the things I've realized as I as I as I as I grow is that the essential, the importance of aligning yourself with individuals that are um, conscious, that are educated, that are truth tellers, right? That are people that are good, conscious people that want good for you, want good for other people. Like you have got to align yourself and you have to be radical almost about just 
I mean, subhanAllah, we may want to change the world, but as you're growing and as you're trying to develop and educate yourself, you have to be radical about kind of separating yourself from those that are on another tip because that's the quickest way to pull yourself back into mindsets and, and thinking patterns that are unhealthy um, and that are not in alignment with how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to live. How, he, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants the Kira to execute and show up and live in his life is not the same how he wants Sabria to execute and show up in his life. But Sabria and Zakira can rock together because we still lack like-minded and I can help you execute your greatness as you can help me execute my greatness. That's what I mean. But the other stuff, I've, I've been I've been in that place for so long. It's kept me so shackled of being, you know, in spaces and places where I feel so unfulfilled, where I feel so silenced, where I feel so apologetic for just being me, just showing up, being authentic. I have to apologize for it, you know, and it keeps you shackled and it keeps you in the mind. How can, if you think so low of yourself or if you're constantly in an apologetic state, how on earth you're going to talk about you're going to be fighting some type of oppression? You need to stop oppressing yourself. So it really starts there. And I really think, uh, mashallah, like I said, I, I have to keep giving praise and, and, and gratitude to you, sister, because people like you, mashallah, because you reached out to me. And, and not only that, I don't you remember how we connected out, now. Thanks to Facebook. And you also reached out to me to help me, sis, on a straight like empowerment tip. Do you understand the power in that? Do you understand the power? Like you have a gift, right? You have a skill. You can keep that to yourself. Like you, you are equal podcaster in this game, right? Like you have a gift in an area that would benefit you as a competitive podcaster, quote unquote. But no, you say, hey, Sabria, listen, I got this skill. How about let me help you? Come on, sis. That's that's something serious. That's something serious. So may God, may Allah elevate you. Thank you. Thank you for that. You know, okay. Not everybody, that would that would definitely one of the I, I agree with you. Having to get out of that mentality of nobody gonna treat me the way that I treat people, but it doesn't mean that I shouldn't, you know, do that. So, you know, that too is something that I learned, you know, as of recently, as I'm stepping into my true authentic self of Absolutely. this is who I am, whether you like it or not. Some people will walk all over you, but you have boundaries for that now. So Absolutely. Yeah. There you go, yeah. girl. You better go ahead with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So yeah, this is great. Uh, history of pieces stuff. Alignment is so important. Important. Knowledge is power. I feel like those are the three gems that people can take away from this conversation. What else would you add for those who would like? And I wanted to speak on this. It's a little, it may veer a little bit for what you're asking, but I, I think it's just so important. I don't want to lose it. When you mentioned about the different challenges you experience, especially, especially with an exceptionality. And I think that this is an important piece why I created MACE, Muslim Advocates for Children with Exceptionalities. Because what I see is, is that, you know, again, studying our book, our sunnah of um, what I learned is that individuals that were deemed different or had particular challenges, whatever. I say exceptionalities because there may be, because to me, it's one I, I see them as gifts, right? I see them as gifts. Um, how did the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam treat, treat these individuals? And what did we learn in the book? So you have the situation, I have to say this, of the blind man. We Everybody knows the story and how, you know, there was a time when Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he really you know, he wanted to access not that not that he was dismissive to the blind man, but he wanted to access a king and a leader. You know, he was he was, you know, thinking a, a, a little bit like how can he broaden his message? And what happened? You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down and I had a revelation about this the blind man and focusing in on that. And then what did Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu do? He didn't just say, This is why, you know, he didn't just say, Okay, I'll include you in. Come on. You know, he elevated, he empowered, he gave space. He gave space for this brother to be on in leadership in the Senate and not on some like 
uh, equal opportunity, you know, type tip because that man had a gift in himself, right? His his sense of sight might have been impaired, but his sense of he hearing, his intellectual capacity, his ability ability to feel and be empathetic and to understand, you know, was heightened. And that's when I when I work with children, that's when I began to realize that's what really made me uh, identify something that was really critical. Like subhanAllah, like for example, the dyslexic child that has struggles with reading, that was challenged with being able to, you know, put words together to make sound. I work with these children, I'm like, subhanAllah, but you're eight and you can have a higher intellectual conversation with me. And then I can say something to you, say, oh, you know, Miss Mills, but why X, Y, and Z? Like you, you, you can reach beyond, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala overcompensated you. Like he gave you perhaps some a barrier or a challenge in one area, but then he gifted you in another. That's what I'm saying. When you say exceptionality, that's why I use that and I'm intentional. And I'm like, subhanAllah, it's such something that we need to be conscientious of. What how we see people, right? Stop talking about this idea of um, what do you want to say? Oh, oh, let's, you know, uh, inclusion. No, poor okay. guy, oh, poor girl. Yeah, the pity, but not even just that is not like to say, even just stopping at inclusion. Let's just include them in, you know, give them little programs here and there. No, like these individuals have gifts. They actually should be leaders because a lot of them, especially an autistic child, I don't know if you've ever been around a person with autism. It's fascinating. It's mm -hmm. like the fact that you're not utilizing these individuals in your society, it is holding back, it is holding back your society. The Muslim community can be a lot further and beyond if they actually utilize individuals with these sort of uh, exceptional abilities and in and, and, and their leadership roles. You know, they, they should be the great thinkers of this time. So, sister, don't get me started because I'm real passionate no, about I know. I see you being fired up and I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that's a conversation. Mm -hmm. We that's don't a conversation. talk about it. And we think, exactly. oh, how I was treated in this field by like community leaders and stuff, not all, but was like, oh, sis, that's so sweet. Okay, alhamdulillah, we'll go ahead, do your little program. Ha, 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 alhamdulillah. We don't really have that issue in our community, but it, it's cute. And it's like, do you understand that if you really want to be revolutionary, if you really want to fight against oppression, if you really want to be a community that represents the community of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you're missing a critical piece. You know, you're, you're missing something that's really essential because you do not have representation of individuals that are diverse and different in their thinking capacity and their skill levels and you know their their sense of uh, their their senses or, or whatever like you don't have representation they're not in the massages they're not in your leadership positions you know we're we're missing a critical piece which is going to be able to drive which is holding back our communities in my opinion so sorry i had to speak on that no i, I agree I'm about like, to, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And I'm glad we came together on this because <laughs> that's my take on what's going on in the world. Yes. Thank goodness for searching for more people of color into the leadership positions. But like my mom and I both have struggled. And that's the gist of what, you know, our book is about of what it was like having all the disability and having to go through all these barriers and navigate all these things because, you know, like you said, they are, we are gifted in more ways than people can even fathom. And so it's just literally a matter of, of what are you going to do about it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What are you gonna, how are you going to assist and utilize this? And it's about, you know, 
you know, a lot of them, a lot of individuals, um, because you're as children, you're conditioned that you're different, you're conditioned that you're inferior. So a lot of times they become voiceless. But, you know, it, it's also for people like you, Subhanallah, speaking on it and empowering yourselves. You don't, we, you don't, I also feel the like, reason why I kind of navigated a bit out of that space, I still do the work, is because I also felt like, Subhanallah, like who, you know, it's almost like a, let's look at racism, right? You got a, a white, a Caucasian individual coming in, offering the solution for the oppressed black people, the people without voices, right? I, and yeah, even now, you know, I hear a lot of like non-black individuals like, I'll give you the space, I'll give you the resources and I'll amplify you. And it's like, I can amplify myself. Like Allah SWT gave me the skill set. And I also felt funny about that and that space of not, um, you know, I know the children that I work with, they have a voice. They can actually empower themselves. You know what I mean? It's just about allowing space for it. But they, they don't need me. They don't need me to tell, you know, that, oh, let me, you know, let me come save you. I didn't I didn't like that. Potentially, I was doing that as well. And speaking on behalf of a group of people that can speak for themselves. Right. So, yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Girl, you have me getting all. <laughs> that that's good that's good <laughs> so we definitely want to be able to continue this conversation definitely um follow the living legacy podcast on facebook and follow the living legacy podcast on instagram we are also at living legacy community as a facebook group so if you want to continue this conversation definitely leave a comment let us know what you think what your favorite part was anything that you want to share we would definitely take a look now where can we find you and follow you sabria everywhere on social media I'm trying to calm that down. Um, so I would just say the Don't Muslim Woman podcast. Um, the Don't Muslim Woman podcast is on Facebook at the Don't Muslim Woman podcast on Instagram. The Don't Muslim Woman podcast. Um, we're on Anchor, Spotify, Apple. Um, so we have audio podcasts. We also do live podcasts on our Facebook Live, just just like you. Um, so go ahead and follow there. I also have a page. It's private. I don't typically, you know, let everybody on my personal page. I'm still working on that. But about Islam, you can about Islam, you can see a lot of my articles if you're interested in that as well. So Mace, Perfect. sorry, yeah. Mace, our website, wearemace.com is also where we are if you're interested in the piece on empowering children with disabilities. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for this empowering conversation. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. May, like I said, may Allah elevate you, sis. I, I, I actually take you from your example, believe it or not. Honestly, I am taking from your example. So you don't know what you do that impacts the life of other people and provides an example for how other people should show up and live. So thank you for providing an example of how I should exist in this podcasting world. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Living Legacy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, follow, and download so you don't miss the next episode. If you want to learn more, you can visit ZakiraNayar.com. That's Z-A-A-K-I-R-A-H-N-A-Y-Y-A-R dot com. Do you have any suggestions on a topic you want to be talked about? Send me an email or leave them in a review. If you love this episode, be sure to share it with your friends.